Good morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Joe, and we're so glad you're here. If you're new here, I'm a minister on staff here at Real Life Ministries, and I'm really excited because this morning I get to launch us off in a new discussion, our sermon series called Margins. And this is going to be uh, an amazing, challenging, like we just got done talking about habits. And if you think we're going to take a break, like habits was, you know, examining the habits we have in our lives. No, we're going to lean in even further uh, in this next sermon series. And we're talking about the margin in our lives and why we seem to lack margin in our lives. The author Mark Lenz, uh, he has this quote where he says, margin can be defined as the space between our load and our limits. The space between our load, the things that we must do and the things that we have to do, and the limits, the, the, the point, the breaking point in our lives. And margin is that space in between. And we're going to examine through the course of this uh, series uh, what that margin looks uh, like for us and, and, and examine whether or not uh, we can get better at, at utilizing that margin in our lives and reflections on, on, on things that Jesus might have for us. And so I'm excited to be sharing this uh, this morning. And we're going to get right into this discussion with a question. And the question is this, how busy are we? How busy are we? Now, as you think about that, researchers, uh, not surprisingly, have done a lot of work in, in trying to uncover how busy we are. In fact, uh, in 2018, 2019, there's a Pew Research poll that found that 52% of Americans surveyed say that they do more than two things at once. That they're trying to do more than two things at once. 52% of Americans surveyed. And so this is a survey that's like uncovering a little bit of like how, like the things that we do. We're trying to do a lot of things uh, at once. And, and, and most of you might be going, well, no, no duh, Joe. Like I, I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm trying to prepare dinner. I got to go grocery shopping. I got to do my work. I got all, you know, yeah, of course we're doing more uh, uh, than one thing at any given time. And, uh, but the research shows that. On top of that, there was a survey done by the Harvard Business School that surveyed a thousand working professionals. And they found that 94% of those working professionals say that they work over 50 hours a week. Over half of that group said that they work over 62 hours a week. Which, which means this, that we as people, we're doing a lot of things at once, and we're utilizing a lot of hours in the day to do those things. And what's that doing to us? is the next question. Like, what is that actually doing to us? Well, again, research show the American uh, Psychological Association did some research and found that 33% of Americans say that they are extremely stressed. And over half of the, uh, those that, that, that took the survey said that they regularly lose sleep because of stress. So what we're seeing is that we're people that do a lot of things. We take a lot of time to do those things and it's stressing us out right? It's stressing us out. How busy are we? And how do I know this is true? I look at the research and I go, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. How do I know that that's true? Because when I ask you, how you doing? Oh, Joe, I'm so busy. Uh, how you doing? Oh, man, I am so busy. I got so much stuff going on. And I'm just like, you ask me, Joe, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> We're busy people trying to do a lot of things, uh, uh, using up a lot of the hours in our day, and it's stressing us out. Now, here's the kicker. 
Here's the kicker. The U.S. Uh, 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 Labor Bureau uh, ran a study in 2021, and they found in their study and their research that when they surveyed Americans and how they spend their time, they found that most Americans in 2021, when they surveyed this, spent more time doing leisure and sports activities than they did at work. Oh, so wait a minute. It's not just work that's kicking our butt. It's our decisions. And all of these things have one common denominator, and that's how we choose to spend our time. How we're choosing to spend our time. And this is what we're going to look at in that margin discussion. You see, in the ancient world, the Greco-Roman ancient world, they had two words. The Greeks had two words for the word time. And I've shared this before in sermons past, but I'll bring it up again briefly uh, because it's relevant. The two words that they have for time, the first word that the Greeks had for the concept of time was chronos. And this is where we get our understanding of how we measure time. Chronos is the measurement of the hours, the minutes, the days, the, the months, the years. This is, this is, Chronos is the thing that we can't escape, that we can't run from. It catches us all. And I am never more aware of Chronos time than when on Sunday nights and I'm trying to be cool and I'm not cool to the youth group. Right? I'm 44 years old. I don't know. I'm tired. At the end of the night, I'm exhausted because I'm old, okay? And, and so that remind Kronos, I'm reminded of Kronos every Sunday night. But that's, that's their, that concept of how we measure time. But there's another word that the Greeks use to understand the concept of time. And that Greek word is kairos. And kairos is the moments that make the time, the chronos time, meaningful. It's the moments in our lives that make up the chronos time. And interesting enough, uh, Paul, he was very aware of this concept of kairos time. Because in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16, Paul writes these words. He says, and in most of our English translations, it'll read like this. To redeem the time for the days are evil. Redeem the time for the days are evil. A variation of that will be in any translation you get. And so what's Paul saying there? Like, is it just simply like, you know, I need to monitor the hours of my day because, you know, the, the enemy is waiting to get me? Maybe, but maybe it's more nuanced than that because when we stop and we, we think through what Paul's saying, he's saying to redeem, which means to rescue, to rescue, to, to, grab, to grab a hold of the time. And that word here, he doesn't use chronos, he uses kairos, the Greek word's kairos. He says, redeem, the, rescue the moments in our lives because the days are evil. And that word evil isn't, isn't simply this, the, the bad guy on the, on the shelf. The word evil there means pain-ridden or full of pain. And so more accurately, what Paul is getting at to his reader, he says, you need to rescue, you need to take hold of the moments of your lives because if you don't, they'll be full of pain. They'll be pain-ridden. That we actually have to be activated in, in, in rescuing and capturing that margin, those moments, those kairos moments of our lives. Because if we don't, it will lead to where all the research is pointing us. We're stressed out. We're overworked. We're depressed. Because we are not taking, redeeming, and capturing and so, so the challenge for us is in, in the margin, in the, in the kairos of our lives, in this margin, um, the, the challenge for us is to have a Christ-first vision for our lives. And this is the challenge that we're going to set before you is do you have a Christ-first 
first vision for your lives. And you say, what do you mean, Joe? I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Jesus. And, and for many Christians, that's, that's where it's at. We have a Christ Savior vision for our lives, which means we're happy that he redeemed us, forgave us, died for us so that we can live again and be in community and relationship. So he's our Savior. But oftentimes I find when I talk to Christians, uh, Jesus isn't their Lord. Because when you look at the margin, it's a me first vision. And then I'll fit God in somewhere behind that. We often have a me first vision instead of a Christ first vision. We like Jesus as the Savior, but we reject him as Lord because he's not first. Because if he's Lord, if he's king, that means he gets first. That means he gets to say what is, what is right, what is wrong. He gets to say, this is what I want from you because he's your Lord. And to have a Christ first vision for our lives means that we submit to him as Lord, not just Savior. But king, does he take first place in your margin, the space between the load and your limits? And so we're going to explore this and the challenge we're going to set out for you. And if this is something you're interested in, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to wrestle with this question, is he Lord of my life? Or am I Lord of my life? That, that's a central question we must answer. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't care about this, if this the rest of this conversation may, may not apply to you, okay? Because we're talking about those who would say, yes, I'm ready to make Jesus Lord. What does that look like, Joe? How do I do that? What steps do I need to take? And the first step we need to take, and this is what we're going to explore this morning, is that you need to honor the Sabbath. You need to honor the Sabbath. And so we're going to look at this concept of Sabbath this morning. And you might say, well, what do you mean, Joe? I'm here, and, and I'm going to get my nap this afternoon. I'm Sabbathing. <laughs> and, I, and I'm saying, I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? I can't do his voice, but you know, Princess Bride. I don't think the, you know, I can't do it. I'm not going to, I'm butcher. No, no good at accents. No good at accents. So we're going to examine this concept of Sabbath and what this looks like for our lives. Now, for ancient Israel... For ancient Israel, Sabbath was first introduced to them um, at Sinai as they were rescued out of Egypt and they were brought to Sinai to meet the God that rescued them. And they chose not to meet that God. They were pretty scared. And so they said, Moses, we need you to do it. And so then Moses begins to commune with God and begins to help this ancient Israelite, these slaves, rediscover their identity. And so we get the stories of Genesis 1 where God the, uh, creates everything and orders creation to function on behalf of the new humans, his image bearers that he uh, bears that he placed in there. And then we get at the beginning of chapter two, we get this statement of a seventh day. And in this seventh day, God stopped. He rested. He Sabbath on this seventh day. And, uh, and then the sequel to chapter one is that you have now, what does God do? The, the interesting rhythms to chapter one is that there's evening, there's morning, there's evening, there's morning, marked by a day, evening, morning, evening, morning. And then when you get to the seventh day, there's no evening and morning. There, which, which is an indication to us that that moment is an ongoing creation moment. And what does God do? He Sabbaths, but God doesn't take a break because then in chapter two, we go, well, what is he up to? Now he's taking these humans and he's placing them, he's resting them in the garden and he's, and he's giving them vocation and identity in relationship to one another and purpose and what he wants them to do. And then as we read the story, we, we discover the next page over, um, it all goes horribly wrong, right? And then it's just that downward, spiral all the way from, from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 11 until God intervenes one more time through uh, 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 the, the person of Abraham. And he gives a promise to Abraham
Abraham that he's going to be, his family, his descendants are going to be a blessing to all the nations. And, and it goes, goes all the way down. And then you have these Israelites that have been brought out of slavery. They're at Mount Sinai. And, and, and they're hearing this story about a God that created, and, and that's not new. There are many stories uh, in the ancient world of gods that created the world. But this story is different. That God didn't create the world to rule over humans, but that God created the world to partner with humans and to be in relationship. And wait a minute, that's a different kind of God. That, that's a, that, wow, that's, that's what he has for us? And that he called this, this people group out to be his representation, to be a holy nation, to be a blessing to the rest of the earth. And that's, that's the calling, that, the identity that, that Moses is calling him into. And so then the question is, how do we do that? Okay, Moses, how do we do that? And then we get a lot of instructions right? And we land on one of those instructions in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. And this is the instruction of Sabbath. So, so Moses is giving them a new identity, and they're going, okay, we accept that identity, but how do we actually do that? And this is where all the teachings of the law come in. And so we have this teaching in Exodus chapter 20. We'll read it with you here. Um, it's uh, starting in verse 8. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, female servants, livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, but the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And what we have in here in this teaching is the introduction of what it means to actually honor this seventh day rest that God modeled for them in the creating uh, structure and process, that God modeled it, and then he's saying, now I want you to do this. And so we have this, this literary uh, communication that, that has two parts to it that we need to see here if we're to understand the biblical vision for, for Sabbath. There are two parts to this. Um, we read this and we often think Sabbath, we read it like Sabbath is a title and then the execution of that is rest. When in fact these are actually two different words communicating two different things. First off, Sabbath, the definition of Shabbat is to stop. That's what it means. To Shabbat is to stop. Stop. That's it. And then you have this word rest that's tied to Shabbat. To stop, you have nuach, which means to settle in or to abide. Are two words that you can use here to understand that word rest. Okay, so, so what's happening here is that there's a calling of, of, of these people to stop and to abide. Two sides of the same coin. Two sides to the same coin. Now, this concept of stopping can be hard for us. It's hard, it's hard for me. Listen, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm a fast eater. Do we have any fast eaters here? You're a fast eater? Okay, I'm a fast eater simply because the way I was raised, the way my dad taught me was that eating gets in the way of the work that you need to do. So you got to eat quick in our house because there's things to do, right? I, I can still hear my dad when I'm at the dinner time. I'm a grown man with a family of my own, and I'm sitting and eating, and I still hear my dad over my shoulder. Boy, boy, come on now, finish those. We got to get out here and work. 
the southerner. So boy, I said, I said oh my God, I'm eating. And then like, I'm done. And my family's just like taking two bites and I'm done because I'm panicked. I gotta get, I gotta get to work. I gotta do things. It's hard for me to stop. There's a running joke uh, about me that when, when we're hanging out, I can't sit still. I mean, look at me, I'm pacing back and forth, right? I'm, I got a lot of, I can't sit still. And so I have this like nervous energy. And my wife's like, will you please just go do something, right? Because you're freaking me out over here with your pace. Right? I, so there's just a thing. It's hard for me to stop. It's hard for us to stop sometimes. And the, and the studies are showing it's hard for us as Americans to stop. We, we don't do well with stopping. And, and that's an important part. You see, uh, to, to Shabbat means to stop and to recognize we need to stop. But there's also this other side to Shabbat which is to rest. And it's a critical ingredient that, that for us to really understand this, we need to lean into this a little bit. Look at Exodus. In your notes, it says 10.10. And I just totally mistyped that because it's actually Exodus 20.11. We're just gonna zone in. So if you're like looking at Exodus 10.10 in your notes, disregard that or write in Exodus 20, verse 11. But listen to what he says. But the seventh day is a Sabbath or a stop day of Rest or abiding dedicated to the Lord your God. Do you see it? This, but the seventh day is a stop day to abide in the Lord. Okay? This is what the text is getting here. There's two parts to this. Two sides the same, the same coin. And so the call to stop, the call to stop, why do we need to stop? Because there's a, there's a recognition in the, in the stopping that we need to stop the work we create for self. We need to stop working for self. We need to stop. And is that to say that working for self is bad? Well, no. In, in, in Exodus 20 here, he says, look, I get it. Six days a week, you're, you know, you're working for self. You're doing that. But you need to learn to stop creating for yourself and begin to learn to abide in God. And what does that word rest, that word abide? Because the English, English does, isn't helpful here. Because again, when we read the word rest, we, we're, our, my, our imaginations go to, oh, I get to take a nap, right? Or, oh, I get to sit and watch TV and, and do nothing. That's really not at the heart of the word. There is a part of that. But when we, we put an image to this word, it helps us understand it a little bit better. The word rest there, nuach, um, as it's used throughout um, ancient, uh, the, the ancient Hebrew, is more akin to this idea that if you are a traveler and you, and you have your suitcases and your bags, and you arrive at your destination, and you set down your bags, and you begin to enter into... The, the vacation or, 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 or the visitation that you were there. You, it's like you're setting down your bags and you're entering in now. Now, if we hold that image in our brain, a, a couple things pop out to us. One, when I go visit family, right, we, we, we come in and, or we go on vacation, one of the best things to do is we walk into that hotel room, right? Wherever we're at, maybe we're, you know, some resort or something. We go to that and we open the hotel and we bring our bags and we set our bags down. What do we do? We go, we take it in, right? We're like, ah, oh, you know, we, we're looking around, we lay on the bed for a little bit, we talk, we rest, and it's, it's a great thing, right? We're resting. But is that all that, that that vacation or that time away is? No. Because immediately we start going, okay, what are we going to do? When I go visit family, 
right? We, we bring our luggage in. I go home and I see my mom and, and we come in and there's the greeting. We set our bags down and I begin to abide in my mom's home, the home I grew up in and I hug and we sit and there's a little, I catch it. How was the drive? How are things? And we do relational, we connect. But listen, if all I ever did when I went to visit my mom was go in and then go off and, and take naps 24 seven, I wouldn't really be abiding with my mom. But what I do is we begin to do things in the environment where my mom's at. We begin to get active. We do something. So this concept of rest, when we fully understand it, isn't simply going and then taking an, it's, it's going to abide, but then to engage with the one you're abiding in. So there's activity, there's movement to this rest. And what this looks like for us is that when we begin to enter into rest and abiding relationship with Jesus, we're not simply praying 24-7. We're not simply um, not doing anything and zoning out in meditation. We actually should be engaging in the activities that God would have us. And what that looks like for us is participating in kingdom-related movements and activities in our lives. That we're actually doing what God's doing. Now, what does this look like for Jesus? I think this really comes to this idea of resting means to actually get active with what God's doing comes alive when you look at Jesus. Because Jesus... He, he is the fulfillment of all of this. And the way that he acted and interacted when he was here is a model for us of this full biblical vision of Sabbath. Because in Mark chapter 2, you have this story of Jesus and they're, and they're walking and they're picking grain on, on, sun, on the Sabbath day. And, and they shouldn't be doing that. Um, uh, the the uh, Pharisees at this time, the religious leaders at this time, they um, had begun to write all these different instructions about how to honor the Sabbath. Because when you read Exodus chapter 20, it's a little vague, right? It's like, okay, what does that mean? Can, can, I, can I sweep my home? Can I, can I go pick, do the laundry? Like, what should I do and not do? So the Pharisees started writing out different rules in the, in the Mishnah and the Talmud about how to actually execute this. And, and so there are all these like rules and then they would try to hold people accountable to it. And it's like, well, why? If we get into their heads a little bit, it's, it's not as harmful as maybe we think. Because for the Pharisees, they believed that the reason why the Messiah had not come, the reason why they had not been rescued out of slavery, was because Israel was not being faithful to the law. And so they took it upon themselves to help people understand how to be faithful to the law. Because if we keep breaking the law, we will not be rescued. So we've got to get everybody obeying the law. And that's why they went around and, and were trying to like, hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. We've got to get everybody obeying the law so that we can be rescued. Okay, so the motivations weren't evil intent. It's just that they were misaligned to the purpose of what it meant. So Jesus in Mark chapter 2, sorry, digress there, is, is uh, they're, they're picking grain. And then the Pharisees, they get mad. I'm like, why are you doing this on stop day? Stop day, you're not supposed to do any work. They had one side of the coin, but they didn't have the other. And Jesus gives this Old Testament reference about David, about a time where David was fighting on behalf of the Lord and he needed to feed his men. And it was on a Shabbat and they broke into the temple and they ate bread, which was forbidden to them. And, and he, reminds, he tells this Old Testament story. And, and we're going, okay, Jesus, like, I don't, I don't know how that applies to what you've done wrong. And Jesus goes, listen, 
You're missing the point. Because Shabbat is about partnering with God, not resting away from him. So David was actually honoring the Sabbath because he was working on behalf of the Lord. Right? And so he gives this, this teaching that's powerful. And to take it even further, if we're struggling to make the mental leap of rest, meaning actually I do something with God, I partner with God, and you're going, God, Joe, that's hard for me to understand. When we look at John, John writes in his gospel, it's John chapter, uh, I have it in your notes here, John chapter 5, verse 16. Once again, Jesus is accused, he's like, it says he's harassed. He's harassed for not honoring Exodus chapter 20, not honoring stop day. And Jesus' response is perplexing unless you have the full vision of what rest means. Because Jesus says, don't you understand? My father is always working. And I am working with him. Jesus is saying, I'm actually honoring the Sabbath when I partner with what God is up to. Sabbath, the stop is to stop creating for me and my personal gain and begin to partner with what God is up to in the world. To rest and abide in what he's up to in the world. And so all of a sudden, when we begin to think of rest in those, through that lens, we go, oh, that's why Jesus would, like, why would he respond in that way? It's because he goes, no, don't you understand? To rest in the abiding presence of Jesus is actually to partner with him in what he's up to and where he's going and the activities that he's doing. When we participate in kingdom activities, when we participate in the kingdom of God and whatever that looks like, listen, and you notice I haven't given you specifics, okay? Because that's not the point. When we, when we get into the, uh, the specifics of like, well, should I do this? Should I do this? You're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong questions. Because at the heart of it is that am I, is, does my margin reflect a Christ-first vision, which means that everything's oriented around abiding in Christ. And what does that look like? What does that look like? I would, I would define it this way. This is my definition. Practicing Sabbath is about stopping the work we do that is pointed to self and abide in Christ to bring the realities of his kingdom here on earth. That would be my working definition of what it means to Sabbath. What are we going to do with the margin, the gap? This is what we need to do. We need to practice Sabbath. We need to participate in the kingdom realities of what he's leading and what he's doing. And then you get these concepts that Jesus brings forth. Uh, a famous one in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And we all go, yeah, okay, Jesus, I like that. I'm carrying a heavy burden. 33% of Americans say that they're very stressed. Over half of those surveyed said that they lose sleep regularly because of stress. I'm heavy burdened. I want to come to you, Jesus, and I want to give those to you so that my burden is light. And Jesus goes, I want you to do that, but this is how you do that. Take my yoke upon you. Wait a minute, Jesus. You want me to do more work? That, that's what a, a yoke goes on an oxen to help plow a field. Jesus says, you're burdened and overwhelmed. Come to me and come work for me. And we're going, no, the whole point was I don't want to work. It's because we don't, we don't have a biblical vision of work either. And that's a sermon for another day. Okay? Work. What does it look like to partner with God? Because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest 
for your souls. Here's the, here's the best way I, I can communicate this. Um, for the past few years, Jane and I, my wife and I, and my uh, student leadership team, my staff team, have been running camps. And if you've never run a camp, I'm just going to tell you it's exhausting. And it takes a lot of work. And every year that we've done a camp, our, uh, we have grown. We have grown. We're taking 30 students to camp this uh, in two weeks. And it's a lot of work. It's all the food prep. We've got to plan food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks in between because kids like to eat snacks. And so we've got to have this. So we're plan- we've got to plan the meals. We've got we to plan. I do um, five services five services, morning and evening services, uh, and an evening and a morning service on the front end and the back end. So we do five services. So I got to plan five messages over the course of three technically 24-hour days. Um, and, um, and then we have worship that we do. And listen, when we go up to these things, it's exhausting. Our staff team are the first people up and the last to go to bed, which means that we're usually up at 6 a.m. where one of us is up at 6 a.m. And then we're up until about 1.30, almost 2, just to make sure the the... the area is shut down. So we're working nonstop, nonstop work, making sure kids are safe. We're going to winter camp. There are going to be kids playing in snow. And Drake, one of my youth leaders, loves to just pellet kids with snowballs, and it's fun, and footballs. We have a good time. And um, kids are safe. Trust me, kids are safe. And it's hard work. It's hard, hard work. And we come home, and Jane and I are just flat out exhausted. It's months of planning, intense execution when we're actually up there. It's hard work. We come home, we're exhausted. We sit on the couch. The U-Haul's taken back. All the things are put away. We finally sit down. And Jane and I look at each other in every single camp this has happened. We look at each other and we go, we'd do that again. We'd do that again. Because to partner with God and to see the kids as love, we've had kids get rebaptized, rededicate themselves to the Lord, pursue Jesus in a way that they've never done before because of these mountaintop experiences. They are the most profound, beautiful experiences I've ever been a part of. And my soul is full. I may be physically tired, but I'm excited for the next one because I've partnered with God to bring his kingdom here on earth. God says, if you work for me, you'll actually find the rest of your, your soul will be full. And it's this interesting, beautiful dichotomy between this like idea of what we think is rest means to do nothing and to sleep all day. And God says, no, I actually have a greater reality for you that's going to make you more full than you ever could imagine. Come, come work for me and I will give you rest. We, if we're going to have a Christ-first vision for our lives, we have to begin to honor the Sabbath, the full biblical vision for Sabbath. And so I have some actions, and I have some questions for you to wrestle with as we wrap up. We're going to, before we take communion, we're going to take communion, but before we do that, I want you to, um, to consider a couple things. Creating margin for Sabbath in your life. What does this look like? Well, here's a couple actions. One, choose today how you'll spend your moments, your kairos, which means you got to audit your calendar, right? You got to audit your calendar. We have a rhythm in our house on uh, every Sunday night that we sit down with, with our family. We did this with, my son lived with us. He's moved out now. My daughter's still living with us. But we sit down, we look at our calendars and we go, what, what does this week look like? 
What does this week look like? We've got to audit our calendar. We've got to ask the question, is it a Christ-first calendar or is it a me-first calendar? We're to honor, we've got to recognize that. We've got to challenge ourselves to say, is this a me-first calendar or a Christ-first calendar? So audit your calendar and choose to prioritize yourself around God and his kingdom. And that's, that's bigger than just like, make sure you're coming to church every Sunday. Like, I'm glad you're here. But listen, God's kingdom is, is not here. It's out there. It's God wanting us to be out there to help people see the beauty and restoration that he offers. What, is your, what does your calendar look like? So we've got to audit that. That's an action you can, you can begin to do at your home, with your family, by yourself. But here's some questions, some questions you can wrestle with. Are you honoring the vision for Sabbath by entering into kingdom activities? Or would you say Sabbath for you is more about you? I just need to rest, so I'm going to Sabbath. Well, maybe it's more than that. And what next steps do you need to take to begin to partner with God in kingdom activities? Jesus said, my father's always at work. I'm just trying to keep up with him. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. My father's at work. And if I'm going to abide with him, I can't be somewhere where he is not. I got to go where he's at. Are you, are you doing that? With this vision laid out today, what does it look like for you to enter into an abiding Sabbath? What does that look like for you? And again, I don't want to sit and put rules and regulations. I don't, you know, talk to God about that. Let him open up your heart and speak to you and challenge you and convict you and lead you. That's what his spirit does. But we got to wrestle with it. Got to wrestle with it. Before we take communion, I want to take a moment and let you just, just ponder, think, wrestle with these things. If you didn't get communion on your way in, lift your hand and one of our gals here will, will get you communion if, you, if you're interested in taking it. But let's just take a minute to wrestle and let God speak to us regarding these things.